Hello friends and strangers, welcome back to Wisdom Weavers. It is hot, I am frying, it is mid-May, and the flowers are blooming, I'm picking fruit off trees, I hope you're really enjoying this beautiful spring wherever you are, or whatever season you're in while listening to this. I am reminded every season that we truly live on a beautiful planet. But there is just something special about spring for me, I think. Anyways, I have today an equally ecologically harmonious, delicious, nutritious, motivating conversation for us all to listen to. It's got me thinking very much about my relationship to the food and agriculture industry and how important it is for the collective, for the future, for the mere progress of humanity, for the earth herself, that we become conscious consumers, farmers, and really custodians of this awesome, fertile, innately abundant planet. Not only is it important for that, but it's important for our bodies individually. I really, truly believe if something is not working in harmony with the earth, it's not working in harmony with our bodies either. We are made of the earth. We are of the earth. This isn't a fad or a label. This is who we are. And we can evolve. We can use technology for the greater good. I'm not trying to resist evolution in any way. Actually, in fact, I'm trying to go with evolution, real organic evolution. So this isn't just about giving up on society as it is, but there are major things that need to change. And of course, change starts on a micro level. And I might say this a lot, so I'm sorry in advance, but nobody is perfect. We are all learning, but the change starts with us, with you and with me. That might sound like a phony, overplayed political slogan to get you to vote for me, but it's just what's coming out of my mouth today. So maybe I should start writing political taglines. I don't know. You tell me. So people, friends, including myself, we have to get past greenwashing and labels that motivate us to bypass actually educating ourselves, actually connecting to the things that we consume. We have to get past greenwashing that is motivationally manipulative. And I'm sort of speaking with this fire today because I'm seeing this more and more and I actually think it's really dangerous. So I'll go a bit deeper. There's loads of incredible environmental change makers out there, people leading from their hearts. That's part of why I have this podcast going, to shine light on all of that and more. But also, on the flip side, there are also many people motivated by perhaps other unconscious reasons. I can't help but question when people claim to be environmental activists, dogmatically following some idealism or label like it's the Bible, when in their free time they treat their body, their own earth, like garbage. And who am I to judge? We all have bodily sovereignty and I deeply respect that to the ends of the earth. But there's a disconnect going on between the body and the earth. And if we can't discern past the greenwashing and the labels, we will be taken advantage of by corrupt political leaders, corporations, and people who do not have the public's interest in mind, best interest in mind, and for sure don't have the earth's best interest in mind either. This is really about discernment, and we'll probably come back to that topic a lot in this podcast as it goes on. In my own understanding, you can't love the earth fully without loving your own earth first the first planet you inhabit, your body. And of course, there's no one-size-fits-all of how to do all of this. All these ideas are connected, the health of our bodies and the health of our mother planet. So it makes me want to pose a question, one I try to ask myself often, and perhaps it will resonate with you to ask yourself this as well. Am I motivated by my feelings of guilt? hatred toward the shit in the world I feel powerless about, by all the things I want to see just go away? Or am I motivated by the heart, by what I want to create, by how I wish this world to be? And with this conversation today with an awesome person, a dear friend, Brad Van Stone, 
I really genuinely feel him connected to his heart and what he wants to create. I really admire his transparency with his business and how he is honest about growing, changing, and learning. I also really admire his ability to grow his business and center the earth first. This is real integrity, and this is how I hope to see more and more businesses grow and change. So, without further ado... Fueled by concerns about the future of our planet, Brad began eating a mainly plant-based diet upon moving to Amsterdam. He found the transition easier than he'd imagined, with the exception of cheese. Unable to find many plant-based cheese alternatives in the supermarket, he started making it at home. Months of experimentation later, and with some basic knowledge of dairy cheese making from time spent growing up, on his grandparents' dairy farm, he founded Willycroft in 2018. The name originates from Willycroft Farm in Devon, founded by his grandparents in 1957. Now they are reimagining how we consume cheese, combining age-old techniques with a more plant-friendly ingredient base. With Mother Nature as their CEO, They're placing the planet's future front and center behind every decision they make. Having launched Willycroft at 500 supermarkets and opened up the first plant-based cheese store in the Netherlands, they're aiming to demonstrate that plant-based cheese can be just as decadent as its dairy alternative. I have Brad's links and references in the show notes, so good morning or good evening wherever you are. Hope you enjoy this delicious conversation. So I guess for me, it all began when I moved to Amsterdam uh, four or five years ago. So when Morgan and I, my partner, uh, moved here, we started to uh, eat a mainly plant-based diet. And we found that process actually pretty easy. Um, the replacements for meat and milk, even back then, were, were pretty good. Mm-hmm. But, um Cheese was a, was a whole different story. Uh, I think it was probably <laughs> my favorite food until then. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I'd also grown up with very, very good cheese. Sort of bar was super high. And the quality of the replacements just, yeah, really didn't kind of live up to it. So I started to experiment in my kitchen uh, just here in, in my apartment in Amsterdam. And yeah, I, I found it incredibly rewarding, I think. I'd been sat behind a screen for eight years. So just getting back to, to using my hands, being creative, um, and also to try totally new when there was no real rule book or way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was coming into it with a little bit of knowledge. My grandfather was, was a dairy farmer and he taught us how to make uh, like milk when we were growing up. And like I therefore knew a little bit about making cheese. So there was a bit of knowledge there and yeah, I guess I, I just got super into it and um, I then sort of was experimenting for about six months. I still had a part-time job and yeah, I guess I was um, not forced, it's the wrong word, but encouraged by friends mm-hmm. to, to to give it a cracking and, and yeah, quit my job and go full-time and that's what I did and I initially kept it really artisanal, just going from market to market um and yeah really getting used to the processes and getting loads of feedback and pouring all my time into the the sort of product and that's when I started to really learn a lot more about our food systems and yeah the incredible um kind of problems and um yeah many different rabbit holes that (laughs) that there are issues with it in food and so I guess then I really started to develop the kind of values that we wanted to live by as as a company um and throughout this whole process I was getting more and more into it more and more comfortable with with everything and I didn't necessarily think it would kind of balloon from there but I guess Mm -hmm. from that process we realized that actually there weren't too many companies really taking a stand and and actually trying to create a, a better food system and so that's really been what we've been up to since yeah, then. yeah. it was really cool mm. because I I was living in Amsterdam mm. sort of at that genesis period of like experimenting yeah. 
And so I really got to see when it was just in your kitchen and it was like all of a sudden you were like making all these like honestly like amazing vegan cheese because I think I always associated like vegan dairy as like super chemically Mm. like kind of disgusting sometimes Mm. good like and it was like no this is just plant like this is just plant-based food Mm. yeah yeah well I mean I think there has yeah with, with vegan cheese I think or vegan products in general I think the first wave was just real excitement in an alternative but I think the next phase is people actually thinking, okay, is this genuinely better for me? Is it genuinely better for the planet? Like, and I also think people are kind of thinking it doesn't have to, you know, 100% mimic something. It it just has to be delicious, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think, and that- I and I love, I love, love, love the packaging so much. Like, <laughs> so people, I'm gonna put all your stuff in the show notes so that they can see, but. Um, it's like everything that it's not imitating, but kind of giving like, you know, a nod to certain cheeses, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And it will be like, this is not mm-hmm. Italian. This is not mozzarella. This is not Parmesan or whatever all the titles are. And I just think that's mm-hmm. the most genius, brilliant mm-hmm. marketing thing ever. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And also really beautiful packaging as well. Um, but yeah, what... Um, what I think what's really interesting for me is that, well, a few things actually first take us back to your grandfather, because I think it's really interesting that Mm -hmm. this is sort of a, a, um, progression of like kind of lineage for you and with total respect to your grandfather, who was, who was, or is, was a dairy Mm -hmm. farmer and yeah like what kind of farmer was he what did you know about farming from him and then yeah how does that play a role into your business sure so my grandparents moved to this farm in devon in in 1957 uh, and it actually didn't have a name when they moved there it was um on this moor in a really tough place to farm in devon quite high up and the nearest moor was called Willycroft. So they named the farm after the moor mm. uh, because it was kind of like the defining feature of the farm. And yeah, they farmed this land for 50 years. It was a kind of small to medium sized farm, a uh, couple of hundred acres, lots of small little fields. Um, Devon is, is a really beautiful place because you have these super high hedges where there's loads of different uh, animals kind of living in in there loads of birds and things and you have these little woodland and stuff and yeah it's it it was a very kind of formative experience always going to that farm um there was definitely a lot of love and care for the animals and it was it it seemed like quite a self-sustaining setup because they would grow all the crops on the land for the the cattle um the milk uh, only until uh, the end of the the time would would be serviced uh, locally so sold locally um and yeah the, the cattle would spend a good seven eight months out outside on the fields so it was mm. a, I, I think what everyone has is the quintessential idyllic farm in their mind it was one of those kind of vibes um and yeah they were they were very kind of practical people they were good farm, my grandparents, but they, they worked really hard. Um, so I guess like a lot of those characteristics really ran true. Um, but that's how I thought all animals were raised for sure <laughs> for a long time. And right. so I, that was part of the reason for most of my life that I ate meat and dairy because that, that was my vision of what a farm was. Right. And was that there? Um, that's beautiful. Like that's, I mean, that's really like, you know, living in harmony with like, yeah, just its own little ecosystem and one that serves and is in harmony with the earth and community and, you know, Mm. the, the, the life, the animal life. So, um, but was that hit their, like, was that their business? Is that how they Mm. sustained themselves? And then who were they serving? Was it their local communities? And yeah. Yeah, it it was like pretty much all of their income they had also like a few little things they do in the community like my grandfather was a magistrate but he wasn't paid for that uh he just spent a couple of days a week doing that 
um, throughout his later life. And he also chaired a local farmer's community and stuff. But yeah, he, his income came from the farm. Um, mm. But they would mainly service the local people. I think for the last 10 years or so, they sold their milk to the grid. And then mm. actually they did sell their meat to, to Waitrose as well. Uh, what do you mean by selling their milk to the grid? What is What is that? So in most countries, you'll have like one or two big milk companies that will basically, you sell your milk to them and then they process it all Got together. It. Okay. Which is kind of, I think, where we've, we've lost ourselves a little bit with farming because there's no incentive for the farmer to make it any better than anyone else's. Right. Okay. Kind of removes like the the pride behind your own product because there's no face no name behind it and so right. yeah it's kind of like the amazon of being a small business yeah. in a way sort of yeah and the big milk companies they have so much control so when like th there's kind of two routes for dairy you can go really high-end and artisanal and there's definitely a, a room for that kind of dairy and it's organic or it's big dairy and big dairy just squeezes out the farmer forces the farmer to um basically have a mass scale farm um yeah just it, it really cuts okay. the yeah. yeah that's interesting because i would have thought big dairy was just like these big farms and all that mm -hmm. and it's probably that as well but i didn't realize that they're also you know taking from the small smaller farms as well and incentivizing yeah. that that's For interesting sure. okay so then it's a bunch of different kinds of cows, just processed milk. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. And so then how long was your grandpa doing that for? Yeah, most of their life. Um, they hung their boots up when they were about 75. And they had 10, 15 years of, of retirement. And they, they farmed straight out of college. So my grandfather went to agricultural school when he was 18, spent a couple of years there. So yeah, really his whole life. Yeah. It's... And so when you, um, so I, I bet that it just never even crossed your mind that somehow what your grandfather was doing would ever lead into the work that you were doing. And so what was mm. kind of, was there a moment where you felt this connection to that or mm. was it a gradual thing where you were like, oh, wow, I'm continuing something in my lineage, but in this new way? Yeah, I, I think just the roots of, of food and the, and the purpose of food and the importance of food. Like when I, when I got into to that part, I mean, I was just thinking about how, you know, there are a few fundamental life, shelter, you know, other sentient beings, the happiness you get from them and, of course, food. And so... Mm -hmm. I mean, we were making very different products, but actually the way in which we make our cheeses is quite similar to how dairy cheese is made. So I was definitely relating to that. And I think also, like I've I've actually gone back and read a lot of my grand, grandfather's memoirs. He, he actually wrote a lot of speeches and was quite active with a lot of articles that, that he wrote as well. And it's funny how much crossover there is in terms of his thoughts about dairy farming's place and how it should remain small batch and for the local mm. and also the importance of biodiversity and of having big parts of of land that are just left to grow wild and mm -hmm. and, animals. and so he he was talking about a lot of things that that definitely resonate so i guess it's been an evolving process that connection but i've i've definitely had it um throughout for sure mm. and had he already passed when you started um no. so that was the super nice thing is we did get to have a lot of conversations about it he would send me article cutouts about anything to do with farming uh or, or vegan products and actually just before he passed we actually started selling into waitrose in the uk which is where my gramps used to sell meat. Oh my God, um, that's so beautiful. It's pretty cool that like 30 years later, Willie Cross, the customer selling plant-based cheese. Um, so that, that was a real kind of full circle um, experience. And uh, yeah, he was definitely skeptical at the start. I mean, 
but um no he as as things grew i think he he definitely was was really enjoying where it was going and stuff and uh yeah we had so many good conversations about it and so beautiful that you even named it willie croft and it feels like it comes mm. back to that small little place you know yeah. oh, it's such a beautiful word willie croft it just feels it's, oh, fits so well it just slips off the tongue and it's what well, it's it's obviously like quite a unique word it doesn't really mean anything to anyone and i kind of love that in a way because it's so hard to find a, a name for something um you can be descriptive you can use yeah you can have a play on words or something but it's yeah Willycroft is is so unique to to our story so i i really love it as a word nice and so then your your product is available in amsterdam and the or sorry in holland and the uk or it's all over europe now we're getting there with moving it outside of uh, the Netherlands and, and the UK, but we're currently, yeah, predominantly in the Netherlands, a little bit in Belgium, a little bit in the UK, a little bit in Germany. So we're just kind of growing it from from here. But I guess the first few years, we really wanted to make sure we built a really solid base because like whilst we do want to grow as a company, we didn't want to solve one problem and create another. Um, so we've we put a lot of time and effort into sourcing the right partners and making sure that we're we really have a grip on our emissions and yeah I, I just producing something that is firstly good for for the planet but also has certain nutritional components as well um but i guess like now we've we've done a lot of that work and of course it can be improved but we've we've got a good base now we can really grow i think with um yeah full confidence that we've we've looked at things in a really detailed way yeah, we'll have to bring you down to Spain soon yeah, <laughs> for sure. this stuff. But okay, and that's what I want to go back to because this is what I have felt from you for a really long time. Yeah. Is and and I'm really interesting interested in hearing how you navigate this. So mm. I feel like your priorities are really like in integrity, especially yeah. for a growing business and a small business. And I think that's really hard because I think it's very easy to to get trapped when you're growing into yeah. all the little traps that might be set up for you. And you you just mentioned that you said, first of all, that it's good for the environment or it's working yeah. in harmony at least, and that yeah. it also is nutritional for people and then everything else. And, and mm. yeah, how, how have you navigated that with your growth? Because I have seen it grow quite quickly and in mm. a really beautiful way. And yeah, how do you navigate growth and staying local and staying small and staying nutritious and yeah. Yeah, it's definitely an, an ongoing battle because, um, yeah, as I said, we, we we really started this to not just improve upon dairy or create less emissions than dairy, but to actually make the planet a more habitable and, and equitable place. So mm -hmm. That is a difficult thing to do. And we definitely have to be comfortable with the fact that that can't be solved overnight. And just because we can't do it immediately doesn't mean we shouldn't start and, and make steps. So I think in, in really simplistic terms, what we do with our decision making is we say, OK, is this going to make is, is this going to have a positive or adverse effect on the planet? Yes or no. If the answer is no and we don't have a long term solution to make it uh, yes and to have a positive impact, then we will find a better solution. But mm -hmm. if the answer is no, but we know that we need to get to a certain threshold and then it's yes, we will go down that route still because you have to you have to start mm -hmm. something. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, really beautiful and honest. Yeah, so that and that that's kind of the, the thought process. And we we've put a few internal checks in place and sort of governance things. Like we appointed Mother Nature our CEO, which might, I love that. Uh, <laughs> it might which what sorry you cut off for a second oh no sorry i was i was gonna say like it might sound like a bit of a more of like a statement than something you can actually action but actually we're writing it into our governance as a company at the moment so mother nature unfortunately because she is not an actual physical entity she can't physically be our ceo 
but <laughs> you can write in all of these different checks and balances so that in essence she absolutely is governing our business so that's what we're up to at the moment behind the scenes so that we make sure that whatever happens as we grow over the next few years there are there are there are certain kind of frameworks within which we can grow and that's so important and so rare and that that's really like the thing that that I I felt to pull into this podcast as well because that's what I really feel is at the essence and I've I have felt that since I've known you for a long time that that has been there from the beginning and I think that's super cool um and very rare um what's I gonna say about oh yeah and then let's talk about a little bit about the nutritional bit because I also have felt um as though if something is good for the earth, it's good for your body. And if it's bad for the earth, it just can't be good for you as mm. well. So I think, yeah, that has to somewhat play into that a little bit. And um, yeah. yeah, what, like, I guess what's the content of the cheese and like how yeah, do you look at so, it on a nutritional level? So we, we've just switched away from cashews and onto beans and pulses as a base for the cheese. Mm-hmm. Cashews are an amazingly nutritious ingredient. Um, they're really ra- uh, really rich in um, protein and, um, and and fat as well, and it's healthy fats. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do emit a lot of emissions, and they they use up a lot of water as well and a lot of space. So they're not the most efficient ingredient. So that's why we switched onto beans and pulses because. Firstly, not there are no allergens with beans and pulses, and all our cheese mm-hmm. now are allergen free. Mm-hmm. Uh, the emissions are way lower. We can grow them in this part of the world, and really, actually, in most climates in the world, they're pretty forgiving. Um, and the cost is much lower. And we don't want to be a company that only services more wealthier people. Like, you know, food is for everyone. So right. all of those factors are, are super important. Um, Beyond that, we we use coconut oil currently as a base, and we do source that from from organic suppliers. Even though as a total product, we we only have two organic products, um, and then we're using certain uh, starches and binding agents. We're using a lot of yeasts um, and and fermentation for flavor. We we make a couple of our own cultures, um, so it. it all of our products are clean label. Um, there's there's no sort of additives or sort of flavor additives or anything. Um, we I, I would say with nutrition that we do want to go steps further. So we're going to be replacing our fats um, in the next year or so with a, a slightly healthier version. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also explore vitamins like well it's for a lot of people in a plant-based diet that, that is often lacking um mm-hmm. but yeah i mean i think that they're already at a, at a pretty respectable rate but can can definitely be you know further improved and and things um but yeah well, i guess with new with with what we're making cheese obviously is not something that people eat for a health kick <laughs> like dairy right cheese. so <laughs> we should always strive to be healthier than dairy cheese but i would be the first to say don't just eat willy croft <laughs> you know? yeah 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 yeah. of it's course and i and i think that that also goes into the idea of like there's all these like diet label fads veganism is really yeah. big and i'm i'm not like trying to criticize it i mean i haven't eaten meat i've had fish but i haven't eaten meat in i don't know yeah. five or six years but i would if I, if if my body told me to i totally would like i'm not against it in any way yeah, but I think people get really hooked on, and I I think this is what's interesting me right now because I'm mm-hmm. on I'm a doula and a birth keeper, and I'm on this midwifery path, and nutrition is literally everything, and I've learned a lot about it um, recently, mm-hmm. but also realizing like there's no one size fits all for anybody. No, and and I think it's really cool that as it like there's these vegan options, but it doesn't have to mean that it's telling everybody you must be vegan, but it's actually more speaking to the industry and the yeah. industries that we, that we feed into and consume from rather than, than yeah. actually these fads or these diets. Yeah. No, so, for yeah. Sure. I mean, I think when you, when you're looking at adjusting a diet, you, sh- you don't necessarily need to replace like for like, like actually one of the most exciting things for me 
about changing my diet the last few years is exploring all these new cuisines like there's so many um different cuisines that barely use meat or dairy at all and mm. it's really exciting to explore them rather than thinking of a conventional western diet where there's some kind of grain some kind of meat some kind of veg on the plate there's there's so much more to food than than that diet so i think it's great that we have replacements coming through but i yeah i i don't think they are at the point where they need to be yet. and i think we do need to be scrutinizing them in the same way that we would scrutinize any other food type um and yeah they they need to be nutritious they need to be better for the environment and yeah they need to also be be yeah good for us as well so i think we still have a long way to go with the whole plant-based movement in that sense super long way because um yeah like there's so much greenwashing i mean everywhere there's so much greenwashing um and like just for anybody who hasn't heard that word before it's basically the idea of putting like businesses using labels such as organic or labels mm-hmm. like this by like this is good for the environment basically all these labels that lead the person to believe that this is um a very conscientious and like um earth loving um business but at the end of the day they're just using labels to hide behind other things that are awful so there's a for lot sure. of greenwashing going on these days and it's really sad because it's very manipulative and i think like i yeah i'm wondering what your thoughts are because i haven't done a ton of research so i'm no expert but i know Mm. um like beyond burger and impossible burger these like massive like big tech takeover basically of like farm industry being like oh look there's no animals but actually we're a monoculture with absolutely no um adherence to biodiversity of anything yeah so yeah I know I I totally understand that. I mean, I think human beings are really good at solving one problem and creating another. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, and the problem might not be quite as big, but yeah, we have we're not so good at learning lessons, I must say. Um and I think we if you look at where the whole dairy industry has gone wrong, it's not the small batch farm that my grandfather created, actually that kind of farm can be really self-sustaining and it can actually be net positive. Um, It's it's the mass produced route and that applies to all food. Um, There are literally no landscapes that benefit from something being grown in a straight line year after year. Um, You're you're just only, it's got a tiny lifespan. Um, And I think the world will currently found land that will be unusable by 2050 and that's why we're looking up rainforests and um yeah creating more and more farmland but we have enough farmland right now to feed even 10 billion people we just use need to use it way more efficiently and we need to just exactly go back to the basics and and have uh fallow years and have multiple crops growing in conjunction with one another um we need to stop using uh fertilizers and and pesticides and i mean the whole mindset that we have at the moment with with everything is is so short-lived it's about quick and instant success but Mm -hmm. if you leave things for for 10 years and you look at longer term picture you're going to have something that's giving you almost the same yield but across generation after generation so it's we're, we're going through a big soul searching on this and thankfully we're seeing so much evidence about the benefits of things like regenerative farming um which has has become a bit of a buzzword but it's essentially organic on steroids it's what organic should always have been it's where you uh, allow multiple crops to be grown mm-hmm. in with one another you mm-hmm. don't till so tilling is where you're um, basically creating the, or you, you, it's, it's what you do before you plant seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also you don't use machinery or heavy machinery to harvest. Um, and you don't use any kind of additives with the soil. So no pesticides, no fertilizer, like that's the basics of regenerative farming. It's essentially how my grandparents were farming, how people were 
centuries before them it's just right like from the beginning of human time basically and it it works super well i mean look look where we've come in such a short period of time so it's it's an incredibly recent thing this mass produced industry farming right it must have been like 20th century industrial revolution with or something like that because otherwise it had to have all been local before that no totally I mean, of course, we yeah. had big farms before, but it was actually after the Second World War, really, that farming has become what it has today. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of things picked up at that time, and I think that's kind of when we, well, to some level, started really toxifying ourselves on so many levels um, because yeah. we don't we don't have a connection to the products and the things that we consume anymore. We don't have a connection that we don't even see like that connection. It's not even like, Oh, that connection. I feel an emotional connection to this thing. I mean, you're connected to it, like, because you know where it's coming from and you know, you know, your body and how it's working or, or Mm. whatever product you're kind of trying to use. And also I think that, um, yeah, this connection, it kind of feels like, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. Like, we are a global um, society to some level now with the internet, with like the way things can move around. We are a global society to some degree. So you can't stop that. Like, I don't want to resist against that, Mm. but, but it kind of feels like on some level local is kind of the anecdote to all the toxify toxifying trash in, in this society really like, to go more and more local or at least i'm not saying like that in a dogmatic way it must be local or it's or it's you know not good i just mean that has to be kind of the answer in some direction yeah i think it does really help with if you start with, with food to bring that into your life because you then see the changes in season you realize actually when there's no rain in in a city for three weeks that translates to the farms around the city and you know you start to realize the difference in in global warming and stuff i think at the moment as you say we uh we can just get anything at any time mm-hmm. from out of the world and um no i think one of my favorite experiences of the week actually is i, I sit down and we plan out our meals for the next few days and we use this app where they source everything or I would say like 90% of the things from within 50 miles of, of Amsterdam. And you can, um, you can read every detail about each farmer if you really want to. And it's, and of course things change across the year and it's, it's just a really nice process that you really get to respect and appreciate all of the different seasons and what, Oh, that's so amazing. Like to hear that, like a city could do that. Yeah. It's like these kinds Mm. of initiatives that bring people back. And you know what? At the end of the day, these changes that basically we all need to make, um, Mm. it's not going to happen overnight. There are some things that we're going to buy that's like big tech or big, you know, big food or whatever, like that's life. But the more and more, that's what, that's what I mean by not being dogmatic. The more Mm. and more you can source locally, the less and less you source big and then you know the changes organically happen over time societally yeah. and like individually no 100 percent. i i think looking for a perfect society at this stage is going to set us up for failure but mm-hmm. or something which is vastly improved where yeah we're talking like 90 percent responsible is is definitely achievable i think we can definitely get to those sort of things but it's just about being aware. I think we're so unaware of so many things, but mm-hmm. you're just conscious of what you're doing and the cause and effects of it. It's totally fine to, step, you know, not do the right thing from time to time. It's it, that we're humans. That's that's our nature. But um, yeah, I, I think we just turn a blind eye to so much stuff, which is the really dangerous thing. Yeah, and I feel really blessed this past year or plus Mm. I've lived I mean completely in a different way than I've ever lived before and much closer to nature and it it is really different the way my diet has changed where I'm eating I mean half the vegetables I get maybe maybe not half are from like my friend's land over like my neighbor um not all of them but sometimes like I try to fill in the gaps you know 
And like, you know, I passed that cabbage last week and now I'm eating it, you know? And so I have that and I'm super lucky. That's like not normal for most people, but I'm lucky to, to have that. Mm. But even like at the, at the stores, there's a lot of like cheap organic, almost like wholesale stuff. And I've had, I think I've eaten like nothing but organic food and vegetables and the water well water we really have to go on missions to get water it's not just readily available Mm. but there's an abundance of it from um, natural springs so the water I've been having is coming from a natural spring and the food and I can't say oh my god I feel like this completely different person but what I do feel is super different is my connection to the things that I put in my body I'm much more there, like, there's been this connection that's been made in, in my consciousness on some level that's right. connected to this now. And I think having, you know, having, like, businesses that exist on a bigger level, like maybe like yours, of course, it's not enormous, it's still small, but, mm-hmm. and, and getting to know those and how they're connected to this same idea is really key for a lot of people. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've just been really, I guess, I, it's really easy for people to hide behind labels like being vegan or being vegetarian or being this diet or that diet when they're still not connecting and they're Mm -hmm. still not helping the planet. Because if it was as easy as a label, it's not as easy as a label. You have to educate. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. I think it's about not chasing like a silver bullet answer. There is no easy one fix solution to anything. Um, mm-hmm. So we just just have to be conscious and just aware of everything that we're doing, and and just as I said, not strive for perfection because you're always going to set yourself up for failure. Exactly. Look at doing doing things a stage at a time. Um, and yeah, I think when it comes to diets and things like that, it's, I always love the saying, show, don't tell. So I, <laughs> just totally. do your thing. Other people can look at it and respond to it and ask questions, but just don't tell people what to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think whenever, you know, whenever we get into something and we're super passionate about, you start at a stage of telling, not showing, oh, sure. and then you you move into showing. It's a natural thing. I mean, I I ate a vegan diet for like a year, and I was just angry. Just <laughs> every day, like, how can you eat this meat? And it's just it's just not a healthy place. So now we don't have anything at home that's dairy or or meat. But if we're going out for a meal but kind of throw it in the bin or something you know yeah and I and I think that's super authentic because just because your business and um, this project and this intention that you've set out into the world is vegan right as of now you know it doesn't or it's plant-based let's say um it doesn't mean this is the way to be. It's like, let's provide an alternative for this massive big yeah. dairy. Yeah. No. And I, just opening up minds, really. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. That's it. So, so then how did it, I guess I want to even go slightly before the genesis of this project yeah. When when did you start thinking about food in this like really big way, I guess? Or farming? Yeah. Like when did that start? How did that start? I think with food it was it really was when I started to eat a plant-based diet. I started to read a lot of books and watch quite a few documentaries about big dairy and the kind of monocrop systems we'd created. Um, and yeah, I think definitely went through the angry phase for sure um, of just like how, yeah, how is this possible? How do more people not know about this? Um, how can we fix it? Just, a, I guess the feeling was one of frustration, but also kind of, I, I felt very kind of small and 
inconsequential to being able to do anything about it. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess you would, I, I would then also notice like the quality of the products that I was getting from the supermarkets, be it in the US or the basic supermarkets here in the Netherlands was just super low. Like I was really noticing the difference between if I bought something from a local market versus something mm -hmm. coming from, yeah, a further distance away or just less fresh. And yeah, a lot of things seem to taste less fresh, I guess. And yeah, I, I guess that was part of, of that process for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when we started sourcing basic ingredients from or for the cheeses it was crazy how difficult it was to source anything locally at a reasonable price point or or indeed at all just it just wasn't available sometimes so mm -hmm. that also kind of widened my eyes to the distance that things travel um the amount of hands it exchanges between before it gets somewhere um i mean it's just an incredibly big and complex set up the, the food industry um mm -hmm. so yeah I, I, and even when i thought we were doing good by creating plant-based cheeses and um basing them on nuts i then found out that actually nuts were super highly emitting as well and i was like mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> so i mean it's it's a very complex and evolving process but i'm glad we stuck with it because we have settled on something that is genuinely vastly improved on on dairy in, in beans and pulses. Like the, the the difference in emissions is is huge. So um, no, it, it's been worth worth the slog. But and and of course we hope to lower it from here. But um, yeah, right. it, yeah, no. and I really respect that openness and willingness to change and to learn. Because I mean that's what we're all doing, you know. Yeah. No, I, I think that is one of the most important characteristics we can all have is the, the notion of kind of forever learning, um, mm -hmm. always being willing to take on new information on board. Mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. easy because sometimes that information can directly contrast your belief um, of what the best approach is. Um, right. But it's really important to take it on board and, and act upon it. Yeah. And it was super cool. So, okay, so anybody who doesn't know, Morgan is Brad's partner and also a very, very, very dear friend of mine. But I thought it was really cool that you guys got really into this kind of at the same time, probably around the time that you moved to Amsterdam. Yeah. And I know Morgan's more on like the cultivating, foraging, maybe the, the farming mm -hmm. side more. I don't know. And, yeah. and yeah. if that plays into like your work at all, or if you've gotten into that as well. And I'm interested in hearing like maybe more of like, who's influenced you on like a farming side of things, if you're really into Steiner or biodynamic mm -hmm. farming or any of that? Yeah, I think um, Morgan has definitely helped, helped inspire that for sure. Um, I guess one thing that's really helped understand or help us both understand the difference between supermarket veg and normal veg is that we've been getting this uh, veggie box in the summers from from a local farm and it's just insanely good mm, firstly cool. it tastes amazing but also you get you get a couple of veg for a few weeks and then it switches up and also we're tasting all of these weird and wonderful things i didn't even know existed like half <laughs> the veg is brand new and um yeah all delicious but um yeah it's it's just a joy to see the seasons come through and all the different produce and the amazing taste um, across everything, like it's such a difference um, compared to, to other produce I've had over the last few years. So that so that that definitely really shaped things. But I also got down uh, into a couple of rabbit holes on regenerative farming um, mm. because we we've been kind of looking at things like organic uh, ingredients and organic has done a lot for the food industry, but it also hasn't maybe gone far enough. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think it's strict enough an accreditation, mm -hmm. um, particularly in places like the US, like there's one dairy farm with 30,000 animals and it's in its organic. And wow. 
How it's the greenwashing. Oh, it's crazy. Like they have this farm in Colorado. It's this enormous farm that stretches across the whole valley. And basically the people who come to officiate the and accredit it, they come a couple of times a year just to check out. And when they come, all the animals are outside and they're on the field. <sighs> And then the rest of the year, they just shut up in, in these. Oh, no. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. So, I mean, that's a bad, that's a, but um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of people doing organic in, in an amazing way. But, but essentially, like, it should prevent that kind of farming. Um, and right. that's why I think regenerative farming is really exciting because the basic notion is you improve the environment and soil around you. And it's an evolving process. Because if you have healthy soil, you have healthy animals, you have healthy people, you have a more healthy planet. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, I, th- I think actually when you strip it back to that, farming and sourcing of ingredients becomes a lot more simplistic. But, yeah, we've got a long way to go before we can create regenerative supply chains for, for multiple, you know, product lines and yeah different food sectors and stuff but yeah the topic is being discussed and and pushed um right and it's starting you know at least on a smaller scale yeah for sure and are there any big names in regenerative regenerative farming that we should look up so when people are not listening to your wonderful podcast there's another podcast uh which is called investing in regen ag and some of the the podcasts are a little bit focused on investment. And so, yeah, maybe maybe not for everyone, but they have amazing farmers on there as well and some people that are doing really incredible projects. So that is a real, real good resource. Um, the Rochdale Institute is a really good resource. Uh, I would say those are good ones. And... And actually, to be fair, there was a Netflix documentary and it's a little bit, um, how can I say, it's a little glossy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but the sentiment is really, is really pure. And it's basically just about um, the the soil and the importance of soil and goes a lot into the effects of of regenerative farming. So I I think that's a really nice entry point into regenerative farming. Mm, Yeah. It was cool. I was working on this, thinking about soil because I, you know, the the birth keeper in me is just thinking about fertility because it's all the same thing. If you don't have good soil, if mm. you don't have fertile grounds, whether in your body or on the ground, life just doesn't grow, at least in the same mm. way and as effortlessly. So it really starts there. Um, but it was interesting because this year I was living very DIY <laughs> in a way, and we have this awesome little well not even quite it was quite big garden that we had and every time I would pass it because I've been to other gardens and little farms but there was something about this garden which we did in you know the most simple way but it was Mm -hmm. the happiest vegetables I've ever seen in the ground like every time my foot every time I stepped my foot there and we really had to go out of our way to water it as well because you know it's Spain yeah it was so happy I could literally put my hands and I, I every time I passed that garden I'd just go you guys this is the happiest garden I've ever seen and I, I don't I don't have anything scientific to back that up besides that the food tasted amazing and made me feel really good but there was something really happy about it and it was also quite simple and I think you know like the goat shit that we used was like the local goat that yeah. we're like hey like the to the shepherd can we have some of your shit sure you know so there was definitely this like this local feeling to it but it was really beautiful to see actually how effortless how abundant and effortless life grows when you actually just work in harmony with the earth it's actually easier in a way I mean we make it difficult but it's actually easier in Mm. a way like the earth really does want to provide this is what I feel no a hundred percent a hundred percent we just have to like work in tandem with her language kind of and yeah. yeah. And keep learning. Uh, great. So Brad, we'll link all of your stuff in the show notes and any other links that you might want to add or things to look at or books to read. Okay. Um, 
And yeah, so before we conclude, um, if there's any piece of wisdom you want to leave people with or any last thought you want to leave people with, this is the time. Yeah, I, I think maybe one thing that I've been really mulling over for a long time, and it's a very complex topic, but obviously there's a lot of big organizations that are responsible for a lot of the main problems we have. And this can be food, this can be healthcare, this can be so many different things. Mm -hmm. um, when I first started thinking about these organizations, I kind of wanted to basically see the end to them. And I wanted to see the end of capitalism and all of those kind mm -hmm. of components, as I think a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, because of the interconnecting nature and the power of all of these organizations i think their demise is probably unrealistic in most forms but i do see it real encouragement with some of them that are genuinely trying to change and i think we should really encourage that and really kind of jump on those um positive notes like i think it is always better to celebrate people organizations whatever for their success there are definitely exceptions to this where they should be absolutely called out and and hammered but i think if we reach out a hand to help others or organizations they're may, way more likely to change um, right so i i do understand why people get incredibly frustrated with certain groups and and th th there is a time for calling people out but i think you mm -hmm. also need to be realistic about this notion of like a perfect world a perfect company a perfect person right it's unfortunately now not possible who knows maybe we'll be back in the garden of eden <laughs> before we know it but yeah now we have to make the best of, of what we have and i think we will see the most change over the next few decades by working together and helping those that need being put back on the right path right uh, so that is my i don't know if we can say that's wisdom that is wise i was gonna yeah. say that's really wise <laughs> it absolutely is because we all come to that point where we're like oh you know shit like this all sucks i yeah. mean uh, i mean my language is much more um brutal than shit but still <laughs> but you know and i think also just for me to add in on that is like with these big companies yeah. yes like let's you know let's be let's go with the flow of them wanting to change for sure but yeah. also let's as a collective be super discerning when they're just manipulating us over this yeah. and when it's just greenwashing and Absolutely. i think there's both because yeah. i think there's going to be a lot of um wolves and sheep's clothing too with it yeah. so it's it's a combination it's not all wolves and sheep's clothing but just to be I, and that's going you know don't just take the thing for the label really do your research that's what it kind yeah. of comes down to but you're right we live in a big world and like mm -hmm. we can't just change that overnight and i think also like the more we 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 can give at least these big companies less power. Like they have an enormous amount of power that no company should have, but no. we can at least um, placate or like allocate the power elsewhere by just putting more power locally. And again, it's not going, yeah. I'm all local. I'm a hundred percent vegan. I'm a hundred percent this. I'm it's not that just put some more energy into that, lose some of the energy from the big, the big 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 guys you know mm. and and move from there and let's see how it all unfolds but i think yeah that's super wise to to be honest about you know where it's all headed to and that yeah. there is good there is good change that wants to be had for sure there's actually one book that maybe taps into this beautifully is it's called humankind and mm. it's by uh, rutger bremen who's a dutch author um it is available in English as well. Otherwise, I wouldn't have read it because my Dutch is not, <laughs> is not where it should be. <laughs> but, um, it's a brilliant book and it really encapsulates what we just discussed. Awesome. All right, we'll put that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Brad. Oh, the pleasure's all mine.